with a Marvel property, is one that possesses beings of supernatural abilities, perform magic, and can even see them return from the dead, although there are a few exceptions to this. With that said, it is important that continuity remains within stories told within its framework. Otherwise, it would create a disconnect and take people out of the story being told. This is why you see numbers connected with the different iterations of the Marvel storyline of the main Marvel Universe occurring with the universe of Earth-616. But when they want to tinker with storyline or always alter some vital details, they have it occur within universes that possess a different label. That way, they can maintain internal narrative consistency while also having variation between presence and not break the narrative. Greetings and welcome back to Checkpoint Gaming Marvel Crisis Protocol. In this episode, we'll be going over the game mechanics. In the game of Marvel Crisis Protocol, it is played over the course of 6 rounds with each round being broken down into 3 phases, Power, Activation, and Cleanup. With the Power phase, it happens at the beginning of each round where each character will automatically gain 1 power. From there, the player will resolve any player effects that occurred during the Power phase followed by resolving all non-player effects that occurred during this phase. When resolving the player's effects, start with the player in priority. And with resolving the non-player effects, the player with priority will choose the order. During the Activation phase, the players will alternate their turns. On their turn, each player will play any number of team tactic cards accompanied by activating one character that hasn't already been activated or is currently dazed start with the player with the priority token. And if a team tactic card doesn't specify the source of his listed effects, then the character that played the team tactic card is deemed the source of the effect. And if multiple characters play the same team tactic card, then all of them will act as the source of the effect. And once the player has declared that the turn is over, the turn of the other player will begin. The activation phase will also come to an end when the player has ended their turn and either player possesses a character that is without activated or dazed token upon it. First, resolve any effects that happen at the start of the activation and begin with the player who has the priority token. When the player effects are completed, resolve any non-player effects. Second, alternate turns until there aren't any characters left to activate. During any given turn, the player can choose to activate a character or to pass. A player who chooses to activate a character can form an activation, use a superpower, and interact with objects with the activated character. And third, resolving the effects that happen at the end of the activation phase, starting with the player that has the priority token. Once all of the player effects have been resolved, resolve any non-player effects. When activated, each player can perform two actions, with the common actions available to every character being that of move, attack, superpower, and shake. With move, it allows the character to advance up to their speed, or to climb with the character being able to use a shorter movement tool than was listed upon the given card. With attack, the character can, of course, make an attack with any of his listed attacks. With superpower, some of the listed superpowers require use of an action in order for the character to use it. And finally, with shake, it will remove one special condition that is affecting said character. It is worth noting that some special rules or superpowers grant actions when used, and if an action is granted by an effect, then it won't count as one of the two actions a character is allowed to perform. And with special rules and superpowers of just a series of related events, each event will have to be met in order for the next event to trigger. When a special rule lists any additional effects, a line break will be found separating the event or the word additionally will appear, which will indicate that this is a new effect. After completing their action, the character can use any of their superpowers, interact abilities, or other special rules as the player so desires. From there, its actions will come to an end. Once that has been completed, an activated token is to be placed upon the character's stat card. And once the character has an activated token upon the given stat card, it cannot be activated again. And remember, interacting with an objective token doesn't count as an action unless it is specifically stated as such by the given crisis. But the rules of the game will occasionally say that an effect, ability, tactic card, or superpower can be used at any time. When it does, it doesn't mean that said effect, ability, tactic card, or superpower can be used at any time. Instead, it can be used before or after a given action was taken or effect was triggered. But with that said, it cannot interrupt an action or other effect. Players are allowed to end their turn without activating a character. This has to occur when their turn starts with them having fewer characters without activated or dazed tokens compared to their opponent. This is known as passing, and the player who decides to pass can still play team tactic cards before ending their turn. 
After all the characters have been activated, Loran moves into the cleanup phase where the players will score 50 points for controlling, securing, or holding objectives. Once that has been completed, resolve any player effect followed by any non-player effects, concluding by having any of these characters moving all of their tokens that they possess from their respective stat card, which is then flipped over to the injured side. The last character that was activated during the activation phase belongs to the player with the priority token, and said player will pass the priority token off to their opponent. When this is done, the player will remove all the activated tokens from their characters, advance the round token found upon the mission tracker, and then start the next round. So the cleanup phase looks like this. First, score victory points obtained from the crisis cards, which are done by marking these points upon the mission tracker. Second, resolve the player's effects that occurred during the cleanup phase. Third, resolve any non-player effects which are to be done in the order decided by the player with the priority token. Fourth, characters that have a Daze token will remove all their damage, special conditions, and Daze tokens from the respective stat card, followed by flipping the stat card over to the injured side. Fifth, if the last character that is activated during the activation phase belongs to the player with the priority token, then said player will pass the priority token off to their opponent. Sixth, remove all the activated tokens from their characters. And seventh, move the round token found upon the mission tracker and begin the next round. With the scoring of victory points during the cleanup phase, it occurs simultaneously for all players with these characters never contributing to the scoring conditions. When it comes to moving within the game, it is done through the use of movement tools which come in three types, short, medium, and long. When they move, their character will have use a movement tool that matches the given speed stat or smaller. With overlapping, it is when a character's base and a train feature are found in the same space either fully or partially. If an effect will lead to the bases of two or more characters to overlap, then the character is unable to end their movement there. A character also cannot end its movement with its base partially overlapping a train feature, thus causing the space to be found completely atop of the train feature or not at all when the character's movement comes to an end. If a character is either thrown or pushed, thus causing it to end its movement atop of another character's base or train feature, the said character will stop along the movement tool in the last position where it would not overlap the character's base or train feature. And if the character's miniature or base is unable to physically fit and balance atop of a train feature, the said character cannot end its movement there. The character also can never be moved off of the battlefield. If a thorough push will see character's base move off of it, then said character will stop his movement at the place where it would come in contact with the battlefield edge while adhering to the movement rules. Then there are several ways that a character can move which consists of advance, climb, throw, push, and place. With advance, it is movement that typically occurs during the character's advancement and represents the character maneuvering across the battlefield. With climb, it is movement that represents the character's capability to scale a wall or to climb on top of a given piece of terrain. With throw, it is a movement type where a character or object gets thrown, typically as an attack, superpower, or special rule, and results in a collision. With push, it is movement that is caused by a character being pushed, typically due to an attack, superpower, or special rule, and it doesn't result in a collision. And with place, it is movement that causes a character to suddenly appear in a given location and is used to represent things such as teleportation, tricking of the character's senses, or the manipulation of time and space with place using the range tool instead of the movement tool. When a character advances, the controlling player will take the appropriate movement tool and place one end of it in contact with the character's base. The player has the option of pivoting the movement tool however they wish when using the pivot point. The movement tool can overlap any train feature that is the same size or smaller than the advancing character, any train features the character overlap, and any base of another character. When the movement tool is in the desired position, then the player will put the character's base touching any part of the movement tool. When a player decides to have a character perform a climb, the character will have to advance short range regardless of what his speed is. And when placing the movement tool for climbing, the character is considered to be size 5. And though characters can't move over terrain that is larger than them, a climbing character can advance onto or over most terrain features. It is possible for a character's miniature not to stand upon a terrain feature, and if a miniature or a space cannot physically fit and balance on top of a given terrain feature, then the character isn't allowed to end movement there. 
When performing the throw, the player will have to position the movement tool with one end touching the character being thrown. Also, don't use the pivot point found upon the movement tool due to the character having to fly in a straight line once it is thrown. This is because it doesn't make much sense to have a character being thrown to suddenly turn mid-flight. Once thrown, move the character along the movement tool with its base being centered upon the movement tool and at a specified distance. As the thrown character travels along the movement tool, it will stop if its base comes into contact, overlaps another character's base or terrain feature, thus causing the collision to occur. When determining if a collision occurs, ignore the character as performing the throw along with any terrain feature that the thrown character started overlapping. And if a collision doesn't occur, then the thrown character will travel the full distance of the movement tool. When a thrown character collides with the terrain feature, they sustain one point of damage, and if the terrain feature is of a smaller size than the thrown character, it is considered destroyed and removed from the battlefield. But if a thrown character collides with another character, then the thrown character will sustain one point of damage, with the other character trying to perform a dodge in an attempt to avoid sustaining damage from the thrown character. When a character gets pushed, they follow all the same rules as the character being thrown, except that said character won't glide with any objects or other characters. There are also some effects that will cause an object or character to be, to be placed within a certain range. Unless otherwise stated, the range is measured from the object or character that is being placed with its placement appearing anywhere within said range. As addressed earlier, if the miniature is unable to physically fit and balance the top of a piece of terrain, then the character cannot end its movement there. When an effect will cause a character to move either towards or away from another character or a given object, then draw a straight line starting from the far point of the moving character's base to the far side of the other character's base or object in question. From there, completely pivot the movement tool in order to form a 90 degree angle. Once that is completed, place the angled movement tool in contact with the moving character's base as well as centered upon the line passing through the center point of the moving character and the other character or object in question so that both sides of the tool are touching the moving character's base. If the character is moving towards something, then the pivot point is to be centered upon the line found upon the opposite side of the other character or object. But if they're moving away from something, then the pivot point is to be centered upon the line found between the moving character and the other character or object. With that said, the moving character is unable to cross a straight line that is drawn along either arm of the angled moving tool to the edge of the play area. When a character has their base centered on a token and the rule says to push a character either towards or away from said token, then the affected character is to be pushed in any direction. When a character uses an attack action, then his player will choose one of the actions found upon the character's stat card and an enemy character that is found within the line of sight of the attack's target. It is worth noting that a character cannot make an attack without a target and they can never target an allied character. And when rule states original target, it is in reference to the target of the previous attack. Each attack will also have a range value representing the maximum distance that the attack is able to reach. The enemy character also has to be within the attacker's line of sight and the attack's range in order for them to be the target of an attack. But the chosen target doesn't meet either condition, then they can't be the target of the attack. In order to resolve an attack, use the opposing die rules with the character making the attack and the character being attacked, creating separate die pools using their stats and any applicable special rules to do so. From there, each player will roll their respective dice and compare the number of successes in each pool against each other. If the attacker has more successes than the defender, then the attack will deliver damage based upon the final number of successes. But if the defender has more successes than the attacker, then they are either avoided, absorbed, or resisted the attack and no damage is dealt. And when performing an attack action, it is resolved in the following order. First, choose an attack and measure the range with the player choosing one of the listed actions in the stat card of the attacking character. If the attack possesses a power cost, then the character will have to possess enough power tokens in order to pay said power cost. But if the character doesn't have enough power tokens to pay for the attack, then said attack cannot be made. From there, the attacker will use the corresponding range tool that is listed within the chosen attack and measure the range from said character to the enemy characters. And when a character is standing on top of a piece of terrain and makes an attack against a character that isn't, when measuring range, don't account for the downward angle of the battlefield.
When measuring for the attack, the measuring tool is to be held parallel to the battlefield with the vertical distance found between the attacker and the defender being ignored. Second, declare the target for the attack where the attacking character will choose one enemy character that is found within range and is in line of sight with the target of the attack. Starting with the attacker, both players will go about resolving any superpowers or effects that are triggered where the character is the target of the attack. Third, pay the power cost for the attack if the chosen attack possesses a power cost. Fourth, create the attack pool where the attacker will create an attack dice pool that possesses dice that is equal to the strength of said attack. From there, apply any effects that will either add or subtract dice from the attack pool. But it is worth noting that an attack pool can never be reduced to less than one die. Fifth, create the defense pool where the defender will note what type of attack is targeting them and will create a defense pool missing dice equal to their defense stat for that given type of attack. From there, apply any effects that will either add or subtract dice from this defense pool. But it is worth noting that the defense pool can never be reduced to less than one die. Sixth, the attacker will roll all their attack pool dice followed by the defender rolling all their defense pool dice. Seventh, resolve any critical results that were rolled. And beginning with the attacker, each character will roll an additional die for every critical result found within their initial roll. Eighth, starting with the attacker, the players are to modify their dice rolls, which are based upon each character using any superpowers, cover, or other effects found at their disposal in order to re-roll or otherwise change their dice result. Any critical die rolled in this step don't count as part of the initial roll and don't add any further die to the roll itself. From there, beginning with the attacker, each character can use their superpowers or other effects in order to force their opponent to re-roll or otherwise change their dice results. And again, any criticals that are rolled in this step don't count as part of the initial roll and don't add any further dice to the roll itself. And during the modifier step, it is worth noting that there are no limits to how many times die is able to be re-rolled. The same die can only be re-rolled once for ability or special rule, even if they come from different sources. But when a rule says that a character can either modify or re-roll failed results, it doesn't mean that the player can re-roll as many failures as they rolled. The player will have to possess an effect that will grant them a modifier or re-roll in order to use any failures that they have rolled. It is also worth noting that the words modify, re-roll, and change, they will never affect the modification of the dice. But when it comes to the add of count as and treat as, they will not affect the modification of dice. Ninth, the players will calculate the success rolls and compare the results. With the attacker, they will count each critical, wild, and hit result found upon the dice, while the defender will count each critical, wild, and block result found upon their dice. The defender's total will then be subtracted from the attacker's roll. If the attacker's total is greater than that of the defender's total, then the target character will sustain damage that is equal to the difference. But if the defender's total is greater than or equal to that of the attacker's total, then the attack character will sustain no damage from the attack. But with that said, the defending character can still suffer from any other effects that are found in play. Tenth, beginning with the attacker, the players are to resolve any superpowers or effects that are triggered by the attack. Eleventh, if there's any successful attacks from the attacker after resolving any of the effects from the battle, then the defender will place damage tokens onto the stat card equal to the damage they sustained. It is worth noting that the character can only sustain damage equal to the remaining stamina with any excess damage being ignored. Twelfth, resolve the attack. And thirteenth, beginning with the attacker, resolve any effects that occur after an attack, including things such as superpowers or effects that are triggered after the attack is resolved. There are some attack special rules that have icons found before their name. If a special rule that has one or more icons associated with it, and the final attack roll contains at least that many dice showing those given icons, then the effect of said special rule is to be applied to the attack. It is also up to the players on how they will go about determining the order in which their effects are to be applied. With beam attacks, there are a special type of attack that will damage all characters that are found within range of the beam, regardless of their friend or foe. A beam attack is denoted with the letter B followed by a number which will denote the range of said attack. When determining a target, place the appropriate range tool upon the battlefield with a short end touching and centered upon the attacking character's base. Characters that have a base that is contained or overlapping the range tool is considered in range of this attack. 
In order to use this attack, pay the appropriate power cost once and then make a series of attacks targeting every enemy character that is found within the attack's range and the attacker's line of sight, resolving these attacks in the order of the attacker's choosing. Each attack is also to be resolved before moving on to the next attack. Once all of these attacks have been resolved, any allied characters found within range of the attack will suffer one point of damage but none of the other effects that are associated with the attack. When a given effect causes a character to make a beam attack that targets a specific character, the controlling player will have to place the range tool in contact with or overlapping the specified character's base. But if that is impossible, then the attack is unable to be made. With area attacks, they are a special type of attack that will damage all characters that are found within the defined area around the attacking character, regardless if they are friend or foe. An area attack is denoted with the letter A followed by a number which will denote the range of said attack. Instead of declaring the target of an area attack, characters found within the listed range of the attacking character are found in range of the attack. In order to use this attack, pay the appropriate power cost and make a series of attacks targeting every enemy character that is found within the attacker's line of sight and within the attacker's range, resolving the attacks in order of the attacker's choosing. Each attack is to be resolved before moving on to the next attack. Once all of these attacks have been resolved, any allied characters found within the range of the attack will suffer one point of damage but none of the other effects associated with the attack. When a given effect causes a character to make an area attack that targets a specific character, said character will have to be within range of said attack. But if that is impossible, then the attack is unable to be made. And when the character makes either a beam attack or an area attack, an effect will lead the attacker to be eased or knocked out, then no further attacks are able to be made and the attack comes to an end. When the character takes damage, place damage tokens onto their stat card equal to the amount of damage that they resolve which can never exceed their stamina. And whenever a character sustains damage due to the result of an enemy effect, said character will gain power equal to the amount of damage that they receive. When a character possesses damage tokens as equal to their stamina, then they will become dazed or knocked out depending upon the status of their stat card. If the character's stat card is on the healthy side, a dazed token is placed upon it, preventing the character from moving or being moved. They also cannot be the target of an attack or be affected by the special rules or superpowers. They are also unable to make an attack, play team factor cards, possess any superpowers, or contribute to the scoring conditions. And if a character is dazed during the activation, then the activation will merely end and cannot be activated during the activation phase. But if the character's stat card is on the injured side, then the character has been knocked out and they are out of the fight with all their effects expiring followed by being removed from the battlefield. And once the character gets knocked out, no more effects associated with an attack can be applied to that character, even if said character is brought back due to an effect before the initial effects would be applied. The character also cannot sustain more damage than it has remaining stamina. There are also some attacks and superpowers that will inflict special conditions upon the characters. When such an attack or superpower says that a character will obtain a special condition, then place a token that represents said condition upon their stat card. A character also is able to be affected by multiple copies of the same special condition simultaneously. And if a character would be granted a special condition that they already possess, then nothing will happen. Special conditions are also not enemy or allied effects, thus preventing said characters from gaining power from sustaining damage. When it comes to that of special conditions, there are 10 of them found within the base game which will be presented here along with their effects. Although there are additional special conditions found within the expansions, we are going to be focusing upon the base special conditions at the moment. With Bleed, it is added when a character has sustained 1 damage at the end of their activation. With Hex, it prevents the affected character from rolling additional dice for their critical results during attack, defense, or dodge rolls. With Incinerate, the affected character will remove 1 die from their defense roll. With Judgment, it prevents the character from gaining power when they sustain damage from an enemy attack. With Poison, the affected character will lose 1 power during the power phase. With Root, the character will have to spend 1 power before they can use an active or reactive superpower. With Shock, the affected character will remove 1 die from their attack roll. With Slow, it causes the character to only use a short movement tool when they advance. With Dagger, when the affected character activates its first action, it will have to use a Shake action. When using Shake, it will remove the Stagger special condition. 
Finally, with stun, when an effect will give the character more than one power, will cause that character to only gain one power. When players try to use reactive superpowers or team tactic cards simultaneously, then the player with priority will declare and resolve their effects first. But when multiple effects occur simultaneously, the rules aren't clear on their order and there isn't an attacking player, then start with the active player and continue in turn order. Once all the player effects have been resolved, then resolve all of the non-player effects in order that is determined by the active player. And when a player possesses multiple reaction abilities, then they can choose the resolving order within the window by which they are being used. With that said, all the requirements for said ability will have to be met when said ability is to be used. But if a player is attacking, then the attacking player will resolve all their effects followed by the defending player doing the same. From there, resolve any non-player effects in the order that has been chosen by the attacking player. When resolving the non-player effects, I'll resolve all of the other non-player effects first before resolving the effect connected with the crisis cards. Here is a step-by-step -step breakdown of how to go about making an attack. First, choose any attack as long as there is enough power to make it. Second, declare which enemy character is the target of the attack that is within the attacking character's line of sight and then measure the range for the attack. But if the target isn't found within range, then choose one of the following. Select a different target or end the attack. But if the target is in range, then resolve the effect that happened when the character is targeted, starting with the attacking character. Third, pay the power cost for this attack if it is applicable to do so. Fourth, create the dagger's dice pool by adding dice to it that is equal to the strength of the attack. From there, apply any effects that will either add or subtract dice, but the dice pool never being reduced to less than one. Fifth, create the defender's dice pool by adding dice to it that matches the attack type. From there, apply any effects that will either add or subtract dice, but this dice will never be reduced to less than one. Sixth, roll the attacker's dice, followed by rolling the defender's dice. Seventh, resolve any criticals that were rolled where the attacker gets to roll one additional die for every critical rolled during the initial attack roll, while the defender gets to do the same. Eighth, the player will modify their dice rolls with the attacker and defenders applying any reroll and effect to their respective dice results. From there, the attacker will apply any reroll and effect to the defender's roll, results followed by the defender doing the same to the attacker's rolled results. Ninth, calculate the success or failure rolls by totaling the roll of results. Attack rolls are successful with critical, wild, and head results, while defense rolls are successful with critical, wild, and blocked results. From there, subtract the total number of successful defense rolls from the successful attack rolls. If the result of the attack is that of zero or less, it is unsuccessful. But if it's greater than zero, the attack is successful with the remaining number representing the amount of damage that is levered during the apply damage step. Tenth, resolve any effects that occur before dealing the damage in the following order. The attacker's effects, the defender's effects, then any crisis card effects. Eleventh, apply any damage that occurs to the defender from the attack. It is worth noting that the character can only take damage equal to the remaining stamina. Once that has been completed, the defending character will gain power equal to the damage that they sustained. Twelfth, resolve the attack. And thirteenth, resolve any effects that occur after the attack in the following order. The attacker's effects, the defender's effects, and then the effects caused by the crisis cards. Regarding the character's line of sight to another character or object, it counts as a straight, unobstructed line that can be drawn from one part of the character's base to the base of the other character or to said object. Although this line can pass through other characters, it can do so through train features that possess a larger size than the character or object. A character also has line of sight to itself. When a character is found atop of a train feature, they now have the size of the character and train together when it comes to that of line of sight. Said character will also ignore said train feature when determining line of sight to another character or object when atop of said train feature. Regarding the battlefield, it can have a major impact upon how the battle unfolds with the majority of terrain features being interactive, allowing the character to use them as weapons or cover with some terrain features possessing special rules listed upon crisis cards. Many characters are also allowed to interact with terrain features through the use of their superpowers. It is also possible for interactive terrain to be destroyed, causing it to be removed from the battlefield upon its destruction. 
If your character is found on top of the train feature that gets destroyed, then place it guarded directly onto the battlefield in the same position as they were before the train was destroyed. When it comes to non-interactive train features, they can neither be thrown nor destroyed. And regardless of the train feature, it produces a size value which represents how large and or heavy the train feature is. With the following list, it shows some common features along with their respective sizes. But with that said, feel free to explore and experiment with your own train collection. With size 1 features, they include benches, small crates, and lampposts. With size 2 features, they include dumpsters, cryo tubes, and cars. With size 3 features, they include kiosks, billboards, and food trucks. With size 4 features, they include trucks and market stands. And with size 5 features, they include buildings, monolith, and pyramids. It is also possible for players to possess train features larger than size 5, but they should be careful when creating a battlefield that contains such terrain. But when having such terrain, make sure they don't interfere with the character's access to objective tokens since it will be very difficult for characters to traverse such terrain features. And when objective tokens that will be placed overlapping a terrain feature as size 6, the terrain features should be moved until it is no longer overlapping the objective token. So although it may be entertaining to include Outbody's mother-in-law as one of the train features, Rotund Ass would put the blob to shame and would far exceed the size 5 train features found within the game. Given the fact that the only limitation is the player's imagination, players should agree before play begins upon the size and type of the train features being used upon the battlefield. With throwing a train feature, the player will place a movement tool with one end touching the character and forming the throw without using the pivot point found upon the movement tool. And when moving the distance of the throw, do so from the character performing the throw, not the train feature. When the first train feature or character that touches or overlaps the movement template, they will suffer the effects of the collision. Also ignore any train feature that the thrown character is overlapping when it comes to determining the collision. And when it comes to throwing a train feature, said train feature will be destroyed and removed from the battlefield. When a character is overlapping a train feature that gets destroyed, then place that character directly onto the battlefield in the same position they had when on the train feature. And if a thrown piece of train collides with another train feature that is of a smaller size, then the smaller train feature will also get destroyed. But if the thrown train feature collides with the character, then said character will have to make a dodge roll in order to avoid taking damage. And if a thrown character will collide with a number of different characters simultaneously, then the player who is performing the throw will choose which character will be the subject of the collision. When a non-thrown character tries to dodge a train feature or collision, said character will have to roll dice that is equal to their physical defense with the inclusion of the initial die to dodge roll for every critical found in the initial roll plus any dice modification found with the specific rules and effects. Regarding the damage that the character will take is based upon the size of the train feature or character being thrown, but this damage is reduced by 1 for every critical, wild, or block that is rolled in the final dodge roll. So with dodging, the associated steps look like this. First, we determine the incoming damage of the train feature or thrown character by adding 1 to the respective size. Second, roll dice that is equal to the dodging character's physical defense. Third, roll an additional die for every critical that is rolled in the initial dodge roll. Fourth, modify the dodge die for any special rule and effect that are in play. Fifth, reduce the incoming damage for this collision by 1 for every critical, wild, or blocked as rolled. And sixth, apply any remaining damage to the dodging character. Besides being thrown, train features can also provide cover for a given character that's found hiding behind it. But with that said, there's a number of requirements in play, and all of them have to be met in order for the defending character to benefit from cover. First, the defender will have to be within range run of the train feature at the same size or larger than the character in question. Second, a straight line has to be drawn between any portion of the attacker's base to any position of the defender's base through said piece of terrain. And third, the attacker isn't found within range 2 of the defender. Does the modified defense dice step of a given attack, the defending character that is benefiting from cover can change the result of one defense dice they roll that of a block. But when an attack is made within range 2, the character using cover will still gain the effects of cover. The range 2 restriction for cover will only apply to how set pieces train will grant cover. The effects will list any requirements that might exist for the character that is gaining cover. 
Before ending this episode, let's just point a few things. When it comes to the placing of the Freedom Force tokens upon an objective, the player who plays the most recent Freedom token upon said objective is the one who secures it. With the Friday AI, it will affect all the attack rolls that are made in the next stack action and add a plus two dice to all Unibeam attacks. So keep in mind that most effects like this upon other characters will only affect the next attack made by a character. With Scientific Hubris, since it comes into effect after resolving other effects, will have to be resolved during the final roll. Finally, when using the Ricochet Team Tactic card, it has to be used during that attack action, thus requiring an action to be used to make this attack. But with that said, no line of sight is needed in order to do this. So with that said, that is what you need to know about the game mechanic of Marvel Crisis Protocol. With that taken care of, we can start talking about the scenarios for the game. If you liked this episode, feel free to give it a like, and if you want to stay up to date on any future episodes we upload, go ahead and subscribe. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash checkpointgaming. See you in the next episode, and happy gaming.